0: Today is Sunday, November 1st. This is Celtics Beat on CLNS Radio, and I am Larry A. Russell. The season is underway. Yay! The Celtics are 1-1 one and, one and have the Spurs on tap today. Boo! You play to win the game. Thank you, Herm Edwards. One win, one loss. And that one win was something that was already in the wind bank probably about three years ago now. But to quote another NFL, more specifically AFC East coach, whom we all know it is what it is. But if no another reason... We do have some games to talk about, which is enjoyable in its own right. And to our contest winners, we here at CLNS Radio hope you enjoyed. Tickets to Wednesday's game where the Celtics took Philly to the woodshed, as we all expected. Next giveaway will result in tickets to a far more challenging game, a far more appealing game, actually. Last year's Eastern Conference President's Trophies winners. They they actually don't give away the President's Trophy in the NBA, but I just said that to acknowledge the accomplishments of the team I'm talking about. The Atlanta Hawks. Friday the 13th, November 13th, enter to win a pair of tickets by simply downloading the free CLNS Radio mobile app for iOS and Android. Download the app and then rate and review so we know who you are, and then you are in the contest. Winner will be announced on the at Celtics underscore beat Twitter account. That's at Celtics underscore beat Twitter. Fairly shortly, speaking of mobile apps, if you want to purchase to other Celtics games or any sporting event, Patriots, Bruins, concerts, whatever, download the IQ app. TIQIQ already has the cheapest tickets for all of Boston sports. And now with their mobile app, you can save up to 10% more on tickets to any live event. You can set price alerts to be notified when tickets within your price range become available, as well as see all the top deals for games at the Garden, Gillette, and On the Road. They aggregate all ticket sellers on one platform and have the most competitive prices out there. Head to the Apple App Store to download the Tick IQ app and start saving today. That is T-I-Q-I-Q, yo, promo code BOSTON for 10% off your first purchase. That's BOSTON for 10% off your first purchase. Today's game against the San Antonio Spurs, that wouldn't be a bad investment if you were a Celtics fan, if you were an NBA fan, just looking to enjoy yourselves. Especially no Patriots today if you're in the area. One of the marquee games of the season, well, of course, serve... As your pregame show for today's... Yes, doesn't that sound wonderful? Not tonight, but today's contest. I'll be joined by Nick Jelso, my partner, on today's postgame show as well on C-L-N-S-Radio. Which will be be broadcasting live on clns immediately following the Spurs games. So Nick and I will chat briefly about this contest against San Antonio coming up. And then later today, we will take your calls live on the postgame show after the game along with, get this... Justin Poulin, yes, Mr. Celtics Stuff Live himself. Throwback, way back machine. He's back, and he's back on CLS Radio. Myself, Nick, Justin, CLS Radio postgame show after the Spurs game. You hear a lot of cliche when discussing things with people you know. Looking forward to it. I can say I'm looking forward to today's postgame show. Maybe there are some out there that share my enthusiasm. Hopefully, almost everybody does, although I highly doubt that. I really do hope you are, too. Later on in this show, we will not do around the NBA in five today. That's because we will be bringing in our guest this week to go around the NBA in, geez, 25 maybe. Lang Whitaker from NBA TV and also now provides his great written material for NBA.com. Probably very familiar with Lang for his work in the past at Sports Illustrated, GQ, but now Lang will grace us with his presence for a bit here on this show. Go around the league a bit, discuss opening week in the NBA Busy week for the networks as well. NBA TV's regular season coverage kicked off with seven games and four nights. Watch as much as I could, of course. Continues tonight, actually. Milwaukee Bucks in Toronto at 6 p.m. Eastern on NBA TV tonight. And then two real good games tomorrow, November 2nd, starting at 8 p.m. Eastern time with the Houston Rockets, which I got into it a bit with Brent Barry a few weeks back on this show. Vindicated, Brent, if you're listening. I'll have Lang pass that message along when he comes on. But at least so far, two games out of the year. They may still very well be on the shot at the end the game tonight. But tomorrow on NBA TV at 8 o'clock, Houston hosting Oklahoma City Thunder. And then at 10.30, Memphis travels to Golden State and tries. Emphasis on tries to knock off the defending champion, Warriors. So solid start to the NBA season as a fan. Not a solid start to the Celtics as they opening way back in the opening a few minutes ago now. But I think if we look at it from a black and white standpoint, just looking at the standings, 1-1 one one is pretty much the worst-case scenario uh, as just was there was no way in hell they were going to lose to Philadelphia, although we will not look at it from a black-and-white standpoint. There was plenty of good that came out of that game. We'll talk about it, but still fresh on our minds going into today's contest as well. That dose of reality that Toronto served the Celtics, handing them a double-digit home loss. Did the Celtics play well? No. Did they have, quote-unquote, one of those nights? Kind of like the final game that year against the Cavs in the playoffs where they couldn't buy a shot. You saw that. On Friday night, particularly from the outside, despite plenty of good looks. Should that concern us? Uh, not really. I think there are many concerns from that game. I mean, we'll talk about them. Talk about them, maybe possibly with the Knicks, especially with the going today playing the Spurs. But the Celtics will maybe win a few games like that if they get some of those looks, even if they play teams of the caliber of Toronto, some of those better teams in each conference. Offensively, I would still, I mean, Pretty pleased, which is tough to say when the team shot. What was a 37% from the field? Had a lot of sloppy turnovers because, like I said, it just nights, it's, they're, they're going to have things go their way. And then Wednesday, I was pretty pleased, and then granted, it was against Philadelphia, but it was still good. Friday, not so good. Obviously, you could hit some shots when they needed and should have made, but also that crispness, if that is a word, which I think it is, uh, if, but if it isn't, we're going to go with it anyways. That crispness was not there against the Raptors. Sloppy, some knucklehead plays in the half court. But hey, Tommy Heinsohn, at least, they're running, my friend. One thing I know that must make him happy, that this team is making concerted effort to run the floor. How many times throughout Celtics history, by the way, these last 25 years or so, more specifically, have we heard... Before the year, the Sellers are going to run this year. And then Tommy gets all excited and it's like, yeah, just forget it. But this year, this team, it looks like they're, they're going to run and run efficiently and effectively. What was it? The Philadelphia game, 26 points on the fast break or 28, something like that. And they actually look good and executed doing it with crisp. Passing and they were attacking aggressively. I'm sorry, I did not grow up watching Russell outlet the Coosley or Tommy unleashing the Cowans, JoJo, and Hondo Greyhounds. I am still scarred from the years of watching Tony Delk charge into what seemed like one on eight and then either throwing up an air ball on a, on a wild heave of a layup or firing a pass on a fourth row. But actually, these last two games actually looked capable on the fast break oh, on opening night specifically, but actually provided many of the highlights of the night. Crowder and Bradley had some loud finishes that really involved, got the crowd going in that game. And then Friday night, I mean, I'm looking at the box score now, as a matter of fact, and which obviously what I saw, 22 fast break points, and it did seem like that. So it's good in some aspects and in some efforts. Hey, the offense, in most facets, we've seen some good and definitely some bad, no question through these first two games. But the good is there because of how unselfish these players are, how well coached they are, and how even on nights like Friday, where they couldn't just buy a shot, and I'm actually once again I'm look I got the numbers here for the first time. Believe it or not, I'm looking at this block score from Friday. That's how ugly kind of that game was. But it was, it was 37. There it is, 37 percent from the field. But we'll still be able. They're they're going to find other means, such as some quick points on the break, to get the points they need. I think, in fact, I like to think we all think that that's where we're going to be got to go with this team. It's going to be good, not great good on offense or other, there's going to be a lot of good from this team, but good usually means great on some nights and then not so great on others, which of course, Friday was not so great. Defensively, however, they have not played well in these, in these two games and they've played, they haven't. And actually I thought going into the season and now I feel like looking, I might sound like a fool two games in, but I thought they were going to have a top five to six defense in this league. I really did. And you can hold me on that because I still think that it's going to be contagious with certain guys, especially along the perimeter. Certain guys are going to be very tenacious, and I think that that is going to spread throughout the team. I hope. Hmm. Two games in, we'll say, But there's still a little left more to be desired here, and I think a lot of it is actually talent. I really do. And I wonder if that's just the case of the talent on the team, especially in the front court. It may not be the kind of strength it is in their end for say it is for a Marcus Smart or an Avery Bradley or Jay Crowder. I wonder if it's not a case of execution or or coaching, particularly in the interior. And when I discuss this, this team team does have some defensive, decent defensive big men, comma, in situations, key phrase, in situations. They just are not versatile enough, and we should probably throw Tyler Zeller and Jared Sullinger's name out there. You go back to Friday— and Toronto was going on that run in the second half to take control of the game. Ross is a big third quarter. Boston, I mean they're just trying to get back in the game, but Toronto was just expanding the lead, expanding the lead. And, and I thought the Celtics defended the three pointer not great, but good enough. I mean it just wasn't it wasn't atrocious. I'd give it like a B, very B. I thought they I thought they defended it fairly well against the Raptors. Sure, there were some examples the other way, but yes, I mean, you even had Brad Stevens in his postgame press conference, which if you are interested in watching, youtube.com slash radio, all the locker of interviews, raw and uncut. Even Coach Stevens in his press conference said just that, and, and he referenced the, the Corey Joseph three as an example, where what was like, like a 30-footer or something like that from the basket, for goodness sake. The Raptors, they hit a lot of shots like that thrown, like that, but along the line throughout the night, and you could see it well it demoralized the fan base, it slightly demoralized me, and I would assume it did, it did the same with the players. You like to think the players would be a little more mentally tough to come through, and that's usually the case of a veteran team, which the Celtics are not. But it's still like, so Toronto was going on this charge, and yes, they're hitting some tough shots, but the Celtics, all night, they're mixing and matching. And to find the right guys. And that's going to be a problem for the month of November. And that's what I was afraid of coming into the season. November's going to be like a preseason. And you're going to be mixing and matching guys all month. And likely you're going to be sacrificing some games doing that. But Friday, all night the Celtics are mixing and matching. And Stevens is scrambling. And it's the classic dike in a sinking ship. Unplug one hole to fill another. Because each of these players, they bring their strengths and... With that could possibly come some weaknesses. It was like, you know, get some athleticism in the game it's in the fourth quarter. Get some pressure on the perimeter. Keep Terrence Ross, DeMars, and Rosen. Keep them out of the paint from getting open. And then Toronto starts kind of dominating the glass there. Just do- one facet that will not let the Celtics get back in the game. On Wednesday against Philadelphia, it, it worked. Jalil Okafor, he looked like freaking Shaq to start that game. Stevens gets Jared Selinger and his big booty in. And he's able to check him a little bit. He definitely slowed him down. And I I thought he changed the game. He did. And most importantly, that game, he was able to contribute offensively as well. He had a great game. Friday night, the mixing and matching, it didn't work. Like I said, there was a lot of scrambling, a lot of plugging of one hole while unplugging another. Sullinger, he's just not as useful against bigs that can move. Kelly Olenek, same deal. Tyler Zeller, I think the best way to describe him, situational rim protector. It's not... It's not going to be there for 85 to 90% of the league. And you have some of these guys. They're just not versatile enough, despite their efforts, to contribute to a team defensive game plan because of some limitations they have in each individual. And Amir Johnson, for as good as he is defensively, great pick-and-roll defender, which we all know is critical in today's NBA. He's just not a defensive anchor. You hear the hockey mindset built from the goalie out. The NBA, you have your anchor. You build out from there. Demir Johnson is not that guy you build a defense around. So I think because of the Celtics front court situation and the fact that each one of these guys, they can do a thing or two that the other can't do. On some nights, it's going to look great. Stevens is going to look like a genius with matchups. But another night, possibly even most nights, there's going to be a lot of jostling around, which may create, now granted this is an extreme word, but a bit of a you know, discombobulation, that we saw against the Raptors, and that's gonna cost the sellers some games, particularly early in the season when they have a lot of games and games against good teams, like today against the Spurs, and as it did Friday, prevent this team from being that forty-eight to fifty-two win team that a lot of these computers spit out. And while we're on the topic of the front court, and now that I mentioned the computers, obviously one of the tandems that many algorithms base preseason and previous season data and samples on was the Johnson olynyk front court and that being the Celtics' best pair going forward and should produce a high net rating during the 2016 season and hopefully some sex. Let me look at this from the abstract here. Am I wrong to think that Johnson and who, well, let me make a point, quick Quick point. First off, just from the naked eye alone, they seem to pair well together. Obviously, you don't have Johnson's defensive ability, that being Kelly Olenek, who can guard. He can guard the tougher matchup, and he can mask Olenek a bit on the defensive end. Trap the pick and rolls, whereas Kelly, he's sort of that Swiss Army knife on offense a bit with above-average passing skills, good outside shooting, comma four, big man. Both actually are, in fact, at least a threat from deep wheels. So you're going to have plenty of floor spacing. It just looks like a good matchup, and the data says the same thing. But going back to what I was going to ask here, am I wrong to think that Amir Johnson and Kelly Olenek so far— I mean, they're like the only two players along the so-called deep front court, quote-unquote, that Brad Stevens can count on. And More accurately, he actually knows what he's going to get out of them. He knows who they are throughout the course of the season, not just for a game here and a game there. Here's what I mean before you say, well, geez, Kelly, like, like I'm talking Kelly Linneclaw, like he's a star. No, I just, I'm just saying we know what he is. He's a nice player. We just know what he can do. Here's what I mean. Let's get this name out of the way because I get chastised every time I bring his name up on the show. But here we go. Take Jared Sullinger. We know the story. Plenty of basketball talent. Great footwork. Great hands. Decent b-ball IQ. Good post game knack for the basketball on the glass. It's his conditioning that's preventing him to utilize these skills and making him a very good player night in and night out. And it's his conditioning, which we know it's just not there. He's not in good shape. So because of that, he's going to be a wild card night in and night out. One night, he may give you a good game. 15 points, 12 rebounds. Played very well against uh, Wednesday against a, in good burly defense against one of the few decent, big, big, true big men left in the league in Johil Okafor. Another night, not so much. His lack of, of athleticism and his stamina. There's going to be nights where he cannot even see the floor against uh, someone else like that. So he's the biggest wild card of them all. And then there's obviously the chance he can go on the shelf for, oh, geez, I don't know, 35 games. So you can't count on Jared Seliger. Then Tyler Zeller. Listen, I love Tyler Zeller. I hope the Celtics re-sign him. He is good, not great, at almost every aspect you want from a center. But again, he has matchup issues. I'll reference a game. Game one last year against Cleveland in the playoffs. Couldn't miss. Single-handedly giving the Celtics, what, a nine-point lead in the first quarter in the playoff opener against LeBron. Cavs go small. Cavs go on a huge run. And it's like, dude... We can't use you as simple as that, and he's sitting the rest of the game. And that's going to happen with him in certain games this year. Jonas Jarepko, I like him. Love what he did last year. And I do think last year, the second half of it, when he was acquired, I like to think that wasn't a fluke, but there's always the chance that it could be. He's been in the league, what, five, six years, something like that. That's the best he has played. Two and a half months, really, over the course of five years. That's still a bit of a small sample size. So he could easily regress, could easily be that guy. But there's a chance he can't. So you got a wild card in Sollinger, two maybes in two different ways, and Zeller and Jarepko, maybe Zeller being just you know one night, once again, matchup guy, and then Jarepko, maybe because we just don't know he can be that guy that he was last year. And then David Lee, guys, I am petrified. I know the political responses. Oh, it's just been two games. I'm mentioning a sample size in two and a half months, and here I am being petrified. The word I used, petrified, to describe David Lee. Well, it's simply based on what I said in the preseason or over the summer. We are going to know if David Lee can still contribute at an NBA level almost right away. The verdict will be out like within no more than a week. His judgment may be set by the time we take the air next Saturday, the 8th. Here's why. David Lee, we know what he can do and what he can sp- supposedly do and what he can't and him play defense. We know who he is. Unlike, say, Jared Sellinger, who was going to be a wait-and-see like last year where he got off to a great start, but poor physical conditioning led him to deteriorating throughout the season and eventually he was shelved. David Lee, one of the great self-made players of the last 15 in the years in the NBA, really is some very valuable skills that few NBA players have these days. If he's still physically capable enough of belonging on the court, well, then he can put to use his passing from both the low block and the high post and even his outlets on rebounds, too, which once made Bill Simmons diddle with himself when he was at Florida some 12, 13 years ago. That can be extremely beneficial to this entire team, let alone his unit, and I thought we were going to see that. Now, granted, the Celtics were playing against European teams, But Boston was running their offense through Lee in those games, and it was working tremendously well. And as a fan, what was best was was fun to watch. But the rest of the preseason against barely NBA teams, what, Philly, the Nets, the Knicks? uh, This is coming off, and people can say, oh, he was hurt. Listen, Steve Kerr and the Warriors used freaking everybody, especially with all the blowouts they were in last year, for goodness sake. And he did not play well last year. Was it for a case, a numbers game or not? I don't think it'll take long for us to find out. And it looks like we are. He had a bad year last year, a bad preseason, except for two games against European teams. And I said, we will know soon. We will literally know within the first week, week and a half to start the season if Lee has got anything left and was worth the 5 to $6 million, whatever it was, to take on in a trade without getting any asset, any sort of draft pick in return for taking that financial burden on. I say we will know soon. We can make judgments quickly on him, and yes, it is still early, all of two games, but it is not good. And he's running out of time. The coaching staff, in my eyes, feels the same way. That's why he got off to another bad start, a bad Sixers game, bad start against the Raptors. He didn't even play the rest of the game. That's very – can't speak any clearer than that. So let's go there. Let's ask the audience on this one. Put you guys on the spot. Facebook question of the week presented by harrys.com. Wake up to Harry's, a better way to shave with cost-effective razors and products designed to give you the highest quality shaving experience possible. Say goodbye to money going down the drain with utterly absurd armor leg prices for drugstore razor blades and say hello and good morning or good afternoon. Good evening. The likely good morning To the smoothest shave you will have for a minuscule fraction, not just a fraction, a minuscule fraction. Start shaving and saving today. Simply sign up for an account with harrys.com and get a Truman set, which is Harry's Starters Kit, for $10, which includes a razor, shaving cream, or gel, and one month's worth of blades for, again, all of 10 bucks. I repeat, a razor, shaving gel, or cream, and one month's worth of blades for $10. No tax, no shipping costs within the U.S., so I repeat, 10 Dollars by simply mentioning Celtics upon checkout. And if you do not love your first shave, return to Harry's for a full refund. You cannot lose there. That's Celtics for a Truman set at harrys.com. Boom. Celtics beat audience. Now that you're saving all this money by listening to the show. Time to make the most of our time. Facebook question of the week. Will David Lee be in the Celtics rotation after Thanksgiving weekend? Pretty simple. Yes or no. Feel free to post your thoughts as well on the Facebook page presented by harrys.com. Well, they're all going to get another crack at it today, although a bit more of a challenge. Just a wee bit. Such a difference between those Atlantic division foes and the know, arguably the preeminent franchise in sports since the new millennium. The San Antonio Spurs, 3.30 p.m. Eastern time this afternoon at the Garden. Marquee game for the Celtics. Not a marquee game for the Spurs. Definitely not a marquee game for the Spurs. But it is what you want to call it. A test, a benchmark game, a gauge where we are at game. Challenge, whatever. Time to look forward to it. I know I am. I'm looking forward to this whole day, actually. We've done the show. Got a great guest later on, Lang Whitaker from NBA TV. Then we've got today's game against one of the three best teams in the league. And then the post-game show, which I'm going to be hosting later today with Nick Jelso and the triumphant return of Justin Poulin. San Antonio Spurs versus the Boston Celtics. This is the Celtics Beat pregame segment brought to you by AmericanFarmersNetwork.com. A consumer should know where their food comes from and the standards that should be adhered to. And American Farmers Network's meats are produced by the network of small family farmers who are committed to the most natural and compassionate approach to ranching. Their production standards go above and beyond even USDA regulations. And all of their certified organic beef is 100% grass-fed from poultry to pork and, of course, beef AFNs. Family ranches are committed to providing you and your family with the healthiest, most nutritious meat so you can live the healthy lifestyle in which you have a right to. So what are you waiting for? Log on to com and eat and live healthy today. I know I will steak and egg Sunday to kick off my Sunday after the conclusion of this show. It's going to be a great day. I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to this whole day. Really looking forward to the game. Nick, first off, I know you are so looking forward to hosting the post game show later today on com. Probably more so than this game Certainly would have been a different vibe had, say, the Celtics won that game Friday. Started the season 2-0, and then got the Spurs in here. And it's like, okay, let's see where these guys are. Let's see where they stand against the meat. Different vibe now after that loss. Almost a complete 180 where it's like, oh, gee, so we got 1-1. One and one, And then very likely 1-2. and two, And then they go on the road. How are you feeling, my
1: friend? It's scary. It is scary because, especially after watching Friday night's game, Larry, you know there there was no continuity no chemistry between the units and if the Celtics come out as slow as they did against the Raptors or even the Sixers the Spurs are going to blow them up they're going to be playing catch up all game and I don't think they could return from a deficit against against the San Antonio Spurs
0: yeah that's really the well I want to say the biggest issue but I would say the biggest issue which was an issue we all thought I remember I had Kyle Draper on the show early August and I was talking about sort of how this team is going to be hitting not quite the reset button but they're going to be breaking in a lot of new players and I mentioned that as a concern to Kyle a lot of games in November, a lot of games are good, against good teams and he's like oh jeez well that's what training camp is for and it's like it takes a little bit longer
1: than a <laughs> of weeks
0: in training camp and if you're still juggling around lineups early in the season which we now know the Celtics are,
1: it's they're
0: going to take a it, while to get
1: off the Schneider. well it, no doubt and and, and uh, honestly it, it's good you kind of get through this in november with a lot of games and hopefully they they reset as you said but early early on you were talking about roles for this team and clearly through two games you could see there are some confusion as far as roles or chemistry is with what lineups are on the floor. I mean, even what we call now the great Brad Stevens uh, seems to be confused as to what his rotations and what his player combinations are. Let's put it that way. As expected, though. I I agree.
0: I, I mean, there's just not enough data. There's not enough game film out there to make judgments on what works. You have that, and I also think you have the fact that you have certain players that I mean are I mean granted it has been two games but are not giving you what they thought they would specifically David Lee who has gotten off to the worst start because he really is with those starters and the starting unit has not produced whatsoever really in these two games I think
1: that's yeah I think that's really where the the uh but that has to be settled out I was texting with Justin and on uh, last night during the game, and he was just totally infuriated by the Lee-Zeller combination that that Stevens kept going to. And I, you can see why. I mean, the deficiencies just don't compensate – I'm sorry, the, the pluses don't compensate for the liabilities of putting those two on the court together. Lee, in my opinion, you've seen it in the, the Celtics beat discussion group, I think that he is – a great locker room guy. He's a great leader. What he's going to give us on the court all depends on who he's on the court with, I think. And, and you could see that early on. Uh, he looks like he has cinder blocks on his feet. Yeah. I see. I don't know if it's a case of who he's on the court with.
0: I just simply attribute it probably to the fact that, you know, he's 32 years old. That's really what it could be. I don't think it has anything in case of mixing and matching because he has so many unique skills. And I discussed it earlier. That so many guys don't have that he should be able to be someone. I mean, you saw the Celtics run their offense in Europe really pretty much out of him. You know, he's got low post passing. He can operate from the high post, which he was doing a lot of in Europe. He's a great outlet passer. And these are just things that many NBA players don't have in today's NBA. And if he's just not good enough, really, Frank, quite frankly, just can't physically compete with these guys... What he can bring is is useless because he's just not going to have enough
1: to muster it out. But well, um, and you could go ahead. But before you move on, you could see in Friday night's game again, similar to preseason, Stevens was trying to run a lot of the offense through Lee early on, and it just wasn't working. Uh, and what's scary about today's game is you got a Spurs team who's coming off a big time blowout win over the Nets. Uh, Aldridge hasn't even settled in yet. We know that he I think he's still trying to find his part. And in typical Spurs fashion, you got to spread out a scoring. Kawhi Leonard with sixteen, who started slow. Tim Duncan with fifteen. These guys come out shooting and gunning. They're gonna put the Celtics in a big deficit. And right now, again, we don't know where our offense lies. Where who does it lie with? Is it Isaiah Thomas? He's off. We're screwed. I think the best part of what you just said there is when they
0: blew out the Nets. I think every Nets loss this year is going to be worth like three Celtics wins. So let's just get that. Oh, I don't let's, let's get that, let's get that out of the way. Let's yeah, no doubt along. But I, Sally, we're talking about this game, and I, I hate how we've gotten so negative just so quickly, especially so quickly. Coming, it's just it was almost immediately the six and one preseason, the good game against Philadelphia, grand was Philadelphia, but you now it's it's one and one, and you're going against the Spurs today. We kind and of assume it it's going to be 1-2. and two. I mean, they <laughs> yeah. never beat the Spurs anyways. And if you're looking at it from a standpoint of, you know, hopefully the Celtics can win the game. What can the Celtics do to win the game? Honestly, it's hopefully like, well, maybe the Spurs can play at 70% with effort today. Which, I mean, they're capable of doing. They've done that many times over the last 10 years. But although they did say in the preseason they were going to be far more aggressive this year. and that's But that's what I'm actually holding my hat on because – The Celtics are going to have trouble getting these rotations sorted out. They're likely going to have trouble getting started out of the gate against a very good Spurs starting five and what looks like a not-so-good Celtics starting five, and that's just not a predicament you want them to be in getting things sorted out, quote-unquote, against a team, a franchise that has things more ironed out as it
1: gets, and then, oh, yeah, they're also uber-talented. The Spurs, you could say, I mean, it's hard to think this way, but even... You know, the great Celtics teams. After a big win, sometimes you rest on your laurels a bit. So we can hope that happens and the Celtics can at least play even or grab a short lead in the first quarter, catching up with the kind of complacent Spurs team coming off a big win in Brooklyn. 3.30
0: afternoon game. Afternoon game.
1: But that isn't
0: like – it would be one thing if it was like noon.
1: Noon, I know. And we used to hate those – we used to hate those noon games, right, with the old guys. Now, now it's kind of like wishing we had a noon game. And I'll tell you what, Larry, I wouldn't be surprised if we see Stevens tweak that starting lineup. There might be a change going into tomorrow already. It's going to be today, I, I mean. think, regardless. It's going to yeah. be soon. It's be so soon. I think it's a toss-up. The Celtics may come. will let – Likely they will leave today's game one and two. And Celtics Nation has to really brace themselves. I mean, I'm already seeing it. Don't go on social media, uh, Larry, because everybody's already talking, blow up the team. This team doesn't care about winning. Get rid of this guy. Why do we bring in that guy? You know, the typical nonsense, two games into the regular season. Everybody brace yourselves. Have fun. Watch a good Sunday afternoon game at the Garden. And hopefully we can compete and possibly pull out a win. That was a good way, I think, really to, to end that segment because it was pretty depressing there for a while. Hopeless, hopeless. <laughs> it was. I got to tell you, I am thoroughly excited about our postgame show today, immediately following Celtic Spurs. And not only because, you know, Justin Poolin is going to be on with us, Celtic Stuff Live uh, from back in the day. And also, you're on the show with us, Larry. And that gives everybody an opportunity who's been bashing you about Jared Sollinger and vitamins and everything team. else. Feel yeah, man, call Don't in 347-215-7771 3, 3, after the game. Call in, talk to Justin, myself, and Larry, and I'll leave you with this, Larry. Did you happen to see the end of the game when uh, Jared lifted his jersey up and all that flubber fell out? Uh, no, I didn't, and I actually usually
0: encourage our listeners and myself to go to our YouTube channel, once again, youtube.com slash Radio. but that's, I'm not sure that's something I, I really want to see.
1: <laughs> There's a lot to see. I'll okay. see you later, Larry. No. Thanks all for right. having me.
0: Well, I figured I had to get you on sometime, Nick. You only do own the company, but that was Nick Gelso, owner of CLNS Radio. And yes, we will be on the post game show after the Spurs game here in a couple hours. One guest to another. Time to talk a little about the Celtics, but a lot about the NBA. Around the NBA in 25 ish. Lang Whitaker. NBA.com and NBA TV reporter. He's up next, and we're going right now. Interview with Lang is brought to you by DraftKings. There's still plenty of football left to be played this season, but it already feels like the playoffs at DraftKings.com, where millionaires are being crowned all season long. DraftKings is fantasy football on demand. Play where you want, when you want, with the players you want. That's the beauty of one-week fantasy at DraftKings. Challenge friends in a custom league Or join an existing one to play for your share of the millions of dollars of prizes being paid out each week. With so much money up for grabs, every game is the big game and every play matters. Renew old rivalries or create new ones. By playing head-to-head with friends, coworkers, and fantasy players from across the nation, just pick your contest, draft your players, and collect your winnings. That is it. This isn't fantasy as usual. This is DraftKings. Welcome to the big time. Hurry to DraftKings now and turn your love of football into a life-changing payday. Use promo code New England and play for free with your first deposit in Sunday's million-dollar fantasy football contest first place takes home a hundred grand enter New England for free entry now only at draftkings.com that's draftkings.com lang Whitaker it is your maiden voyage here on Celtics Beat. welcome on in and thank you for joining us hey man how are you very well I actually have to ask a favor All right. out of you we're using this segment to expand our around the NBA and five to go a little more than around the NBA and five with you so first off I ask the favor the Houston Rockets who NBA TV has the privilege of broadcasting their game tomorrow night against Kevin Durant, the Oklahoma City Thunder. Uh, you mind passing along a kind memo to your colleague, Brent Barry, that Larry H. Russell, <laughs> that skinny Irish kid from Boston, was correct in his assessment of the Rockets and my argument I had with him two weeks ago where he was trying to convince me that the Rockets were some sort of combination between the 92 Dream Team, the Stengel Yankees, and the 07 Patriots, that Mr. <laughs> LHR, after, after two games, is vindicated.
2: After two games.
0: <laughs> what, what was your argument? I said they were a faux contender, and he was pretty much beating them down my throat.
2: I, th- I mean, I think they're—I don't want to say I'm a faux contender. Um, I, I think they're a team that's a, a, maybe a conference finalist, but I don't—I don't think they're an NBA championship team yet. <laughs> that's uh,
0: a faux contender.
2: Uh, how about a pretender? Okay. <laughs> there we go. Uh, yeah, I mean, I just, I, I don't think they're a championship team. I think they're, I mean, Harden's incredible. Um, I watched their game um, the other night and uh, against, uh, who'd they play? Denver? Uh, and no, they, no, not Denver. The one. Um, they
0: got smacked the other night. You're right. Who do they? The uh, Golden State uh, Warriors. Home. Yeah. Um
2: And they just, they just, they didn't look like the team that was in the conference finals last year. You know, they still, um, Ty Lawson was, was on the court, but wasn't really a part of the game. And um, they just looked like they were still trying to figure things out. And I, I think that's, you know, they, they get a couple of months to to figure things out to me. Um, I also, you know, they, they, that team has just been in such flux the last couple of years. Um, and they, you know, to Daryl Morey's credit, he's not afraid to make a move. But at some point, I wonder if you just have to say, you know, maybe it's better to just stick with what we have and try to, keep these guys together and maybe this is as good as we can get. Um, and I feel like, you know, at some point they're, they're going to have to kind of settle and say, okay, let, let's go with this and, and be a team with these guys.
0: Yeah, actually that's sort of what one problem I think the Celtics have had in these first two games. I'm watching obviously reference to the Celtics because yeah. it's a Celtics show. But you, you watch, you know, Houston, you're right. There, you know, there are Moore, He comes from the Celtics organization. But it's constantly about assets and, you know, getting better mm-hmm. here and just trying to win like trades like barely. But, I mean, you bring up a really good point about that in the sense that, I mean, when you do that, you have to find the right combinations, get, you know, in a team that relies so much on advanced data like Houston does, like the Celtics do. Then you're constantly juggling around lineups. And while you're doing that, you're actually sacrificing games on the court and thus sacrificing standings and, you know, home forward advantage uh, come the playoffs, which the Celtics kind of don't need because, I mean, they're really not going to affect the NBA landscape. You would think Houston does because they're pretty much all in at this point with Harden and, and how are the prime of their careers,
2: especially in the Western Conference? Um, you know, that's I think home court is even more important in the, in that conference than it is in the East. But um, to your point, yeah, it, it you know, I, I I'm, I'm sort of I guess I'm a little older than the than the, the new school of, of fans who kind of grew up with analytics as as a part of their understanding of the game. Um, You know, like I, I I remember before there was plus minus and those kind of stats. I'm I'm not a, I'm not a dinosaur, but I'm I'm just past that, um, that, excuse me, that part of the, the game. And I, I, I've followed all these stats since they've come into play. And I understand, you know, defensive efficiency and all the different rankings and PER and what they mean. And, and I think they're all very important to have there, but I also think there's just some something that goes with you know being on a team and and having teammates and going out to dinner with these guys and and doing things off the court and and being a part of a team and I think that's just as important in some ways as numbers and stats and and how you put the team together and, and winning trades and collecting assets and all that stuff. So um, I think there's a, there's a balance there, um, and it, it's tough to find sometimes. And, um, you know, it, it, sometimes we, I think we lean a little too heavily on the one side and kind of forget the human element of it.
0: Well, that's also really the advantage that, say, San Antonio has, uh, Golden State has, and that they get a return pretty much their entire team. Of course, San Antonio added right. two huge pieces, but I don't think there's really any question of whether they'll fit in. But, I mean, obviously, you're right. They don't have – they're all familiar with each other, and they, you know, they develop sign language. Of course, once again, to sort of reference Boston sports, I sort of remember, like, the 60 Minutes episode with Tom Brady and Deion Branch, how they could just make eye contact, right. and they know what, know what route Branch would run. And I feel like once you sort of just develop relationships with certain players, as, say, San Antonio has had, maybe not over the last 10, but I would say over the last four or five with Kawhi Leonard and everything, you have to think that they have some of that abstract value about that as well.
2: Definitely. I mean, I, I think Tony Parker, it, I think that starts with the point guards and um, a guy like Tony Parker knows exactly where Tim Duncan wants the ball. He knows um, when he's bringing the ball at the court, if the defender is playing on whatever side of Duncan, he knows Duncan's going to spin and get a backdoor cut to the basket or, um, you know, th- there's just little things like that that I think only um, experience can, can teach you. And um and, you know, with San Antonio, I'm a little interested to see how LaMarcus Aldridge works into to what they do there because um, it's such a set collection of players and you have a, a great player that you're adding to this mix. How does he fit in and, and you know, what parts of his game does he sacrifice to fit in? Um you know, We were just talking about how in the Western Conference, playoff seating probably matters more than ever. Um, and I think it's interesting the Spurs have the last couple of years kind of been on that forefront of, of resting guys and trying to, to have everyone as healthy as possible heading into the postseason and, and not really caring about regular season records so much. Um, but at this point, you know, with, with the way the, the Western Conference is, is shaken out and as good as it is, um, I I think it might matter a little bit more to them than it has in years past. And now they have to try to figure out how to work Lamarcus soldiers And th- these are great problems to have <laughs> if you're the Spurs. But uh, it is, I think, worth watching and worth seeing how they're able to, to make Lamarcus fit into their system
0: yeah worth watching today. The Celtics play the Spurs later today at three thirty i'm actually you brought up such a great point too, and we 're going to stick with the Spurs, obviously because you know they're pretty much uh, as, as much of a factor as any team, and of sure. course the Celtics do play them today, but I actually as an NBA fan, I think it was for the greater good that they lost in the first round last year and pretty much did so largely because that seventh game was in L.A. Now, granted, the Spurs did have a chance to close the series out at home in Game 6. But it sounds like from what we've heard from you, what we've heard from them in the preseason, I don't know if those are not cliché qu- or quotes to the media or whatnot, but that San Antonio is going to kind of push the pedal a little bit harder during the regular season. And then if you go towards the Western conference, Clippers... Doc, he's never been one to take the foot off the gas. He used to play Ray Allen 35, 40 minutes a night here in Boston yeah. in blowouts. Oklahoma City will know they'll push. Golden State, largely knowing how much home court matters means to them. You have to think, I don't think they'll win 67 games again, but they're going to try yeah, I think that's just going to make it from a fan standpoint where the NBA, I think, has a tendency to sort of fizzle out a little bit come January, February, and March, and then it sort of picks back up again after we get off the start again. But maybe not this year, particularly out west. We might actually have you know one of those few seasons where it will be a pretty compelling product all year.
2: What was it last season? Curry. Steph Curry didn't play in 11 fourth quarters or 12 fourth quarters last season. They were kicking everyone's ass. Yeah. So I think this season he'll – you know they'll – obviously if they can rest him great um but it but if he has to play um it makes it a better product for everyone involved I think. um you know it's it's you're already seeing it in the east um like the hawks last night or two a couple nights ago they rested tabo cephalosha when they were um, playing the knicks and then against the hornets they rested cal corver um and they said it was um ankle rehabilitation for for both of those guys i think but but they both played, and I think they could have played if, if they needed to, but you know, Mike Budenholzer did it all last season, where he kind of just rested players here and there, especially after they had that big run in January, but um, he's already started it this season, and I think from a fan standpoint, it's a little disappointing if you come to see your favorite players play, and, and they're not there, um, and you don't know from game to game who's going to be there, who's not going to be there, but I think these coaches feel like they have a, a, a larger commitment to make and, and to look forward to the postseason, um, and, and to try to just have everyone as healthy as possible. That said, the Hawks had (laughs) at some point in the playoffs, all five starters were injured last year. So, you know, they have to deal with that too. And you can try your best. It doesn't mean everyone's going to be healthy. And I think, um, as a fan, I, I think I'd probably rather just see everyone play and go at it. Um, like you pointed out, Doc Rivers used to play Ray Allen heavy minutes, um, I think you know, as a fan, great. I get to see Ray Allen play forty minutes a game.
0: It wasn't great if you were. A I used to like, what is this knuckle bean doing? You'd see like they'd be up by thirty in the fourth, and you'd see Ray Allen just running around. It's like
2: although you know Ray Allen's the, the kind of guy. I've been at games where after the game you go to talk to him in his locker, and he's not there because he he went to run on the treadmill because he didn't get enough running in during the game. Um, you know he's the he's the guy who is committed to doing this amount of work every single day, and uh, so I, I'm sure he didn't complain about getting heavy minutes from Doc.
0: Yeah, well, it certainly hurt. Uh, remember the 2010 finals where he just had nothing left in the tank. Yeah. So. Uh, but I actually want to get to the Eastern Conference and the Hawks. But I do have one more just to just yeah. ask this question about the Western Conference since we can just sort of get it out of the way. Obviously, talk with Bones, was it now, on the show two weeks ago. And you know, we're three game, three, two, three games in, right? That's just plenty of uh, data for us and sample size for us to draw conclusions about <laughs> the end of the Western Conference. But sure. I said that there's a championship tear it's Cavs, Spurs, Warriors, and then you sort of draw a line, and then you can have Clippers, maybe Houston in there. I say Houston, no, but there's a, clearly a line. Do you think the Clippers belong in that little you know, triumvirate, if you will, yeah. or are they maybe one teeny bit tier below them?
2: <sighs> That's a good question. Uh, I think they're right there, but I, I'd probably say a teeny bit below because um, I, I, I'm kind of of this school that you have to prove it. And um, that's sort of why I feel like Houston's not a championship team because, um, you know, they, they, they got to the finals, but they didn't really show me anything. And I feel like the Clippers have to get there. Um, you know, we just did the hang time road trip on NBA TV, and we talked with Doc Rivers and when we were in L.A. and Paul Pierce and um, Jamal Crawford. But the thing with Doc that was interesting was <clears> – <throat> I asked him how do you sort of get this whole team on the same page with all these you know you add Paul Pierce and Lance Stevenson and Josh Smith and uh, make a lot of changes to your roster and he said uh, i don 't know um, and and he seemed to, he seemed to be okay with that you know he he realizes that um, they've got until sort of may to figure this thing out and, and he's okay with that. He's, he's going to kind of get them as the season goes, figure out the pecking order, let them figure it out amongst themselves. He'll step in when he has to. But, uh, I think Pierce adds a lot to them from a leadership standpoint. Um, you know, it's not just Chris Paul's voice, I think anymore in the locker room. And I think Paul's smart enough to, to know when to speak up and when not to speak up. Um, there was a video online this week from, Chris Paul had a charity event, and uh, there was it was uh, Wesley Johnson was pouring a drink for Paul Pierce, and Paul was giving him a hard time about it, and it was just a funny moment. All the team was standing there; they were all laughing, and I, I saw that, and I thought, you know, that's what makes Paul Pierce so important to that team is that is that he understands when to push, when not to push, uh, when to make a joke, when not to make a joke. And I think he'll just play a, a huge role for that team. That said, I, I still don't think they're a championship team. We got or in that upper upper tier. Um they gotta prove it, I think, to to show us that that's where they belong.
0: I think it's a case most largely because I don't think you I or ninety percent of the people that watch either the NBA casually or from a diehard standpoint would trust them to win a game on the road. I right. Mean, like if they're like in a critical like road game to close out. I mean we've already seen now over the last four years you just can't really try. I mean, I want to I want to use like another team in in pro sports as like an example. But I would not trust the clip like I mean would would I be betting my money on San Antonio to win a seventh game in Oakland? No, but I could I could see it happening, you know what yeah. I mean? If yeah. the Clippers like that it was like there's not that's not what will happen. They're done. There's like there's no chance. So that's yeah. where I think we're, that's where I I mean they have as much talent as any of those teams, but I don't know there there does seem to be a mental block where we can look at it from sort of just that vague and intangible standpoint where we can draw a conclusion like that.
2: Yeah, I know what you're saying, and and yeah, they again, again, they have to prove it. Show us you can do it, and then we'll believe you. But it's hard to, it's hard. To, they have to make that final step, and that might be the hardest step for for a pro team to make is going from being really good to being great. All right.
0: So the Western Conference we know is going to be pretty fun to watch all year. Eastern Conference, well, we're. People, generally, people who listen to the show like the Celtics so will watch it because we're going to watch Celtics no matter what. But if you're looking at it from you know, an NBA standpoint or just a regular fan, not so much. There's kind of few stories there, you know, let alone just three games in here. We know the Cavs are most likely going to win the conference unless there's some sort of catastrophic injury to LeBron James. Uh, the Bulls and Hawks should be all right. Uh, some other teams won't really factor in the NBA landscape but should stick, like, say, the Raptors, the Wizards, and you know, hopefully the Celtics. But I tell you... Kind of tough to devise stories like, wow, you know, how about this? But after the first two to three games of the season here, we're barely a half weekend. But is there anything to that Pistons 3-0 and start? <laughs> and I ask you this because you saw them firsthand. I know you saw them firsthand. They beat your Atlanta Hawks in the opener. So my guess yeah. is you got a good look at them. Because I know you watch your Atlanta professional sports team like they decide the fate of the universe.
2: I watch them like a hawk. Which, thank God, they don't. <laughs> um, you know what? Well, th- two things. Number one, Detroit has always played, for some reason, the last, like, three years, Detroit's always just killed the Hawks. I don't, Drummond for, has Al Horford's number, and I don't know why, but Drummond it just always has huge games against the Hawks, and he did when they played the Hawks this year. That being said... Um, I I think this Detroit team is they, they do have something there. There's something real there and um I, a lot of that is is to me Cantavius Caldwell-Pope um who you know was brought in and people thought he was kind of going to kind of be this scorer wing player but I think he might be a better defender than people realized. Um uh, you know w- watching them um play it, they have Drummond in the interior kind of defending the rim and then Caldwell Pope kind of locks down the opposing wing players. Um, they got Reggie Jackson who, who has gotten better. I think this season he, he st- well, I mean that in terms of the, the games two and three, as opposed to game one. Uh, but he seems to like have, have started to play in, in like a more, um, I don't want to say fair way, but he's involving everyone else and not looking for his shot as much. And, I don't know. You know, last year they started three and nineteen. I think it was. Um, they were pretty bad. Yeah, and they just, went on
0: like a winning streak as soon as they dumped Josh Smith. Yeah, and they, yeah, they were back a, into the tank again.
2: They were a disaster to begin with, but and that's that seems out the window. And um, you know, the one the other thing I'd noticed was their second team was just pretty awful the first couple games. Um, once they had to sit the starters, but you know, once um, Brandon Jennings comes back, if they can get him coming off the bench and anchoring that second unit, I mean, this team could be a team that's going to make some noise this year in the Eastern Conference.
0: You know, it's actually funny, too. I just pulled up the standings of the Eastern Conference and the playoff picture after two and a half games, basically. So I think really, really only two games, but it's Pistons, Raptors, Wizards, Bulls, Hawks, Cavs, Knicks, Celtics, and almost kind of like, yeah. It's not going to be the order, obviously, but I, I, it almost like I think that's the eight. Maybe Miami gets in there. I think they're kind of. I think they're either going to be good or they could flop largely because of the age on that roster. Yeah. But I like. I look at them I'm like, oh my god, I, that may be it after like day three of the season.
2: <laughs> well, uh, I'll tell you another team that's been good. They're zero for the season. I think right now is Orlando. Um, they, they've been pretty good. They lost that double overtime game to the th- oh
0: yeah, the Thunder. Yeah, back on Friday, that was a good game.
2: They were in that game the whole the whole way, and 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 Vucevic was amazing. Um, I think that's a team that still could. I, I would. I I had them toward sort of the bottom of the playoff picture. Um, I'm not sure New York's going to be in the playoffs. Um, yeah, that's
0: that's probably the one.
2: I mean, I live in I live in New York, and I see the Knicks a lot, and um, but I pity you. <laughs> they won 17 games last year and if they're going to make the playoffs they're going to have to be like what 500 i just think going from 17 to 40 something's going to be a lot for that team and they're going to have to keep everyone healthy the entire season and i just i don't know i think that team still has a little way to go i think they're probably still a year away but um but yeah orlando's a team I'd keep an eye on in the east i think indiana too i don't I don't want to count them out yet um, and Milwaukee's gotten off to a slow start. I think they're going to be better than, than they've shown. Um, so I, th- I think there's still a little movement there um, that should happen in, in the East. Um, and I don't think, I, I mean, I think Cleveland's going to finish higher than fifth. <laughs> I think they're sixth right now. Yeah. Is, if that
0: <laughs> matters. But they have the highest point differential in the conference by like double than every Yeah. So
2: yeah. Yeah. they're going to be fine. Like
0: oh, I said, that wasn't the order. I actually, my one thing, I, I'm, I'm not a fan of Milwaukee. I, I know. They got Parker back from injury, and the Greek Freaks improving. But I mean, once they made that trade last year, they never really, I mean, did anything. And they could, you know, stay kind of stay where they are. But I think you're right. I think you know the Knicks are probably uh, they're not going to make it. So I think you could probably put Miami in. I'm one to believe that. Unfortunately, I think 38 is sort of the magic number right. uh, in terms of getting into the playoffs. You might say like a 38 win, kind of like last year, the Celtics winning 40 yep. games. I think the Nets won like. 37 38 something like that but uh that's pretty much it so i think the easiest way of getting you out of here is we have (laughs) to ask we have to ask you what your general beliefs are for what you've seen on the boston celtics and then maybe even going forward
2: i think they're a playoff team um you know i i covered them in the playoffs last year um In Cleveland at the start of the playoffs
0: team gets the a journalists
2: (laughs) and I was able to to be around uh Brad Stevens and, and kind of be in that locker room a little bit and um I think they're a playoff team obviously clearly they're trying to build something bigger than what they have right now and they're looking for that superstar and Danny Ainge has 500 draft picks in the next couple drafts to use um as either trade bait or something but uh you know for for what this team is right now um i think they're a playoff team and uh i think Brad Stevens is a playoff coach and uh it's just interesting to watch them play to me knowing that they want something bigger than this they want a superstar they want a cornerstone to build around and and they don't have that guy yet but for what they have right now, they're pretty good. They're entertaining. They're going to play hard. Um, and I think they're a playoff team. Uh, I, I wonder, you know, one thing I've noticed just this week watching the NBA, or just one thing I've been paying attention to is rotations. And some of the teams, like Detroit, when their second team comes in, they're, they're just not very good, and there's not a lot there. Um, and I think Boston, they, they, there's a lot of balance there between that first team and that second team, and, you know, they can go 11 deep, 12 deep and and have guys who can contribute and, and, and play a part and fit into that system. And I think that long term over 82 games is going to be a huge help for them. So um, at some point, they're going to go all in. They're going to push all those draft picks and chips in the middle of the table and, and find the guy who they think is their cornerstone guy. But uh, for now... It's kind of fun watching Isaiah Thomas get to the free throw line and score a lot of points, and uh, and I think they're improved from where they were a year ago.
0: Must be fun because I assume you must, you must have him on your fantasy team. So if he's giving you like twenty five off the bench, <laughs> I, I think he's,
2: he's got to be the sixth man of the year leader, right? Out of the out of the clubhouse. To yeah, begin. I
0: mean, he I, I think it's kind of a cinch that he'll, he'll get it. I, I, I he actually so, had a much better year last year. It just turned on that you know he was just on a, a team that stunk. Phoenix for much of the season and then I mean he was only with the Celtics for what was it like nine weeks or whatever but I mean technically he should have gotten last year but I I hope that isn't the highlight of the season Isaiah (laughs) yeah I mean I can tell you that
2: I'll tell you another guy I like a lot is R.J. Hunter I saw him play at Georgia State um, a little bit i don 't really watch a lot of college basketball, but I always keep an eye on Atlanta stuff because that 's where my parents live that 's where i 'm from so i you know R j Hunter was a really good college player, and uh, i 'm curious to see how he fits into what they do in Boston. I saw him play in summer League too. he looked good, so I, I think at some point this season he could he could be a, a guy worth keeping an eye on
0: yeah shooters also too always have a tendency to work out in the nBA whether it 's a guy like a Kyle Corver, but even guys that like sit on a bench after a few years like Reddick, go back yeah. to Steve Kerr. Even Jason Capono, who all he could do was shoot. He couldn't do anything else. I mean, this guy couldn't even lick a stamp. And but just because he could shoot, he was able to play in the league for like 10 years. So it, it, if you can shoot, usually you find a way to, to carve your way in the NBA. But uh, Lang Whitaker, I actually have to – I was searching the bio and everything. Memoirs on <laughs> 1990s Atlanta Braves. I mean, I know this is a basketball show, but you got to yes. go there with that
2: uh yeah so i wrote a book a couple years ago in the time of bobby cox um it's basically a memoir about growing up in atlanta um during the 90s and the early 2000 when when bobby cox was managing the braves and they won 14 division titles in a row and only won one world series and uh (laughs) things i learned from watching that team and um as one of my friends said that book is about my fake television relationship with Bobby Cox. Like I, I, I never met him, but I watched so many Braves games that I felt like I knew him, like my dad. And uh, so that's what the book's about. I actually met him when I was working on the book, and um, I, I called my, I, I shook hands, spoke to him for two minutes, walked out, and called my editor, and I said, I don't, I don't want to talk to him anymore. That was like meeting Santa Claus. Um, I'd rather have the imaginary relationship with him so uh but that's that's basically what the book's about and uh if you're a braves fan or a baseball fan go buy it come on you can get it on amazon cheap
0: yeah i remember we actually all watched the braves in the 90s because they were on tbs yeah you know with cable back then it was only what 50 channels as opposed to a thousand america's team say, they they really were america's team in the 90s after being you know, the Cowboys. sort of i remember my brave story i remember i was coming back from spooky world which is fitting right it's you know <laughs> halloween we just had it but October 96, haunted house with the whole family, dad, mom, and brother. And my mom is begging my dad to come in and, like, take us through the rides and the haunted houses. And my dad is kind of being a grump, being a Yankee hater that he was. He was listening to the World Series in his car, running the car. Keep that in mind, running the car. And my mom kind of ticks, so we go all in, spend a few hours there, blah, blah, blah. So we're driving home, pitch black, 9 o'clock. It's 9 o'clock on Route 2 in, in Massachusetts. It's the middle of freaking nowhere. Stop at a store. Car battery goes out, and now this is '96. No cell phones. Right. So we had a you know a car phone, big fat ugly thing with wires in the other car. We have no phones. We're walking miles on ends, hours. We're listening to the World Series in my car. My dad is like, just like, well, at least the Yankees probably lost. I so say, no, no, Yankees took the lead. Layritz just hit a whole, like a 3 one <laughs> home run on off Mark Waller he was just. That's my Braves of the 1990s story. Was remembering that, and then of course you know the Yankees going on and, Winning that World Series and the Braves kind of not recovering in my.
2: Opinion. When, when you mentioned uh, when you mentioned '96, I was like, if he mentioned Jim Lillard, I'm hanging up. Oh, okay. Well, that's
0: <laughs> why well, you know what you can hang right you can hang up right now, Lang uh, Lang Whittaker, NBA. dot com. We thank you so much for joining us.
2: Yeah, man, I appreciate it, Larry. Can
0: also follow Lang on Twitter
2: at Lang
0: Whitaker And also, check them out on the All Ball blog at NBA.com. And stay up to date on all things NBA with the Hangtime blog, NBA.com slash Hangtime. And of course, the Celtics. Stay up to date with the Celtics. Stay tuned to CLNS Radio and hopefully this show as well, which has concluded for the week. Music for Celtics Beat was provided by Will Rock and Steph LeGrateau. Be sure to follow us on social media. Our Twitter handle is Celtics underscore Beat. And you can like Celtic Beat on CLNS Radio on Facebook to keep up with the show at facebook.com slash Celtics Beat. Also, check us out on Google Plus, Celtic Beat on CLNS. Love to thank our guest, Lang Whitaker, as well as Nick Gelso for stopping by this show. And, of course, those who keep the lights on here, our sponsors, Linda, Audible, Casper, TickIQ, DraftKings, Harry's, and American Farmers Network for making this all possible for our program director, one Nick Gelso, and myself, the executive producer and host of Celtics Beat. I am Larry H. Russell. See you next week with another edition of Celtics Beat, heard exclusively on CLNS Radio.